Hey, everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley. And before we jump into today's content, I wanted to tell you about a special offer from our friends at Belay. Now, if you're like me, you want your organization to grow, but growth brings complexity, and complexity is the enemy of pretty much everything in organizational life. And of course, one of the most complex things we deal with as leaders is hiring. And as we grow, we need to hire. Uh, This is especially true in today's business climate. So we are always looking for the right people. And at times we wonder if the right people even exist. And I'm sure you feel the same way. And if they do exist, how in the world are we gonna find them? And that's where our friends at Belay can help. So whether you're looking for highly vetted US-based virtual assistants, um, bookkeepers, uh, social media strategists, or even website specialists, more than likely, Belay can connect you with who you are looking for. So, to help you get started, Belay is offering their CEO's latest book, Rise Up and Lead Well, for free. And in it, she shares her journey from admin assistant, get this, to CEO of the company. This ebook is available through Amazon, but as a special promotion for our listeners, you can get it for free today. Just text the word Andy to 55123. That's A-N-D-Y to 55123 to receive your free copy today. Now, let's jump into today's podcast episode. Well, I'm super excited about this month's episode because we have in the studio my good friend, Dr. Tim Elmore. Welcome back, Tim. Thanks, Andy. Great to be with you. Well, it's good to have you back. And today we're talking about the eight paradoxes of great leadership. Um, As some of you know, Tim is the president and founder of Growing Leaders International. He's a best-selling author and international speaker. He's honestly a world-renowned expert on Generation Y and Generation Z. And if you do not know what Generation Y or Generation Z is, you are so far behind, I'm not sure you'll ever (laughs) catch up. Okay, that may be an exaggeration. Anyway, Tim's value to the world, other than being a great father and husband, is he equips leaders really all around the world, educators, coaches, um, parents to impart practical life and leadership skills to young adults. But he also is good at that with older adults. In fact, and I know we're not going to talk about this much, but I cannot interview you without bringing this up. Um, To our podcast audience, if you teach leadership or you're looking for tools, uh, transferable leadership principles to instill in the leaders around you, nothing, and I'm telling you, nothing even comes close to the tools that Tim has created. Um, His series called Habitudes, um, you can find them on Amazon. They are... They are the best and most transferable leadership principles you'll find anywhere. And again, that's a topic for another day, but I just love habitudes. And anybody I introduce those to, they love them as well. Thanks. Well, they're sticky, aren't they? Pictures stick in our heads. Well, you've made leadership sticky and you've made it transferable. And again, we should come back sometime. But today, it will become apparent pretty quickly that Tim and I have known each other for years. And his recent research on the paradoxes of leadership are so helpful. In fact, he shared this content with our entire staff a few months ago. And I immediately came up to him afterwards and said, you've got to be on the podcast. Our podcast listeners are going to absolutely eat this stuff up. So, Tim, as we jump into this um, fascinating topic, of leadership paradoxes. Give us kind of an overview of what you mean by a, not just a paradox, but a paradox in terms of leadership. Yeah, well, um, I think everybody knows exactly what a paradox is. That's where two seemingly contradictory realities coexist, and it seems like they couldn't or shouldn't, right. and yet they do. Um, I remember during the quarantine, during 2020, uh, I remember hearing on the radio that traffic was way down in Atlanta, as it was in many cities, but accidents went up. 
Yeah. And it was because there were fewer cars, they drove more recklessly and carelessly, yeah. and they had more accidents. Well, that's a paradox. Yeah. You would think, no, that wouldn't be. It would be one or the other. That's right. But yeah. not both. Yeah. And I think there are at least eight, there may be 800, but I found eight paradoxes that when we put these together, it just makes us not only differentiated in our leadership, but winsome to followers and team members. Yeah. And again, the, when you presented this to our staff, and then as I've read, read the book, it just reminds me that no matter how many times I've heard this, no matter how many times I've taught this, as soon as we get into an either or mentality, we lose either or, right? (laughs) So true. And in most cases, I mean, whether it's parenting, relationships, whatever, it's it's usually both and. And so you've taken that that tension, that dynamic, and you focused it, or you've created. You're looking at leadership uh, through that lens. Before we jump into the details, though, I got to ask you. what, what, why did you, what drove you to write this book? You've written so many books on so many topics, and this is such a, in some ways, yeah. it's kind of a niche leadership yeah. book, yeah. even though it applies to anybody doing any kind of leadership. What's, what's the story behind the book? Yeah. Well, I had an epiphany in a green room before a conference. There were 16 total leaders. I was one of them getting ready for this big event. And I thought, I'm going to turn this into an instant focus group and ask them a question. So there they all were, men and women, old mm-hmm. and young, single and married. But I I asked the question, do you think leading today is harder than it was when you first learned to lead? And I thought I'd get a mixed review on that. But everybody to the person, Andy, said absolutely harder today than ever before. And I said, really? Yeah, one of them said 110%. I mean, they were waving a flag. And I said, now that's actually kind of odd because wouldn't you think it'd be harder back when you were young and didn't know as much about leadership? And didn't have as many tools. That's and, right. Yeah. yeah, books read or whatever. And everybody stuck to their guns. And, and that sent me on a search. Why is it harder? Well, first of all, you already mentioned this. We do live in an either or world. Think about the polarization in our world. Yep. Everything's either or. And I think in life, it's almost always both and. Yep. A little bit of this, a lot of that, a lot of this, a little bit of this. So that's part of it. But I actually think the world has gone from complicated to complex. It's not just a hard problem. It's an evolving problem. It's different tomorrow than it was today. And just when I thought I got the answer, um, you and I have talked about this during 2020, during the first quarantine that we went through, it seemed like we were making a year's worth of decisions in one month. Yeah. You know, and I know, I know you were, we were talking about it. And so it's it's just harder today. I think people come to us with more education, more entitlement, more expectations, and leaders are sometimes feeling like, I don't know if I can do this much yeah. longer. So. Well, when you presented this content to our staff, one of the things that was most shocking to our staff, in fact, there was a, an audible gasp in this part of the presentation. You talked about what you call the great CEO exodus of 2020. Yeah. And you put on the screen yeah. the list of CEOs that that exited the marketplace, you know, took their payout, their buyout, and yeah. just, just left. How does that connect with or intersect with this whole idea of leadership paradoxes? Well, interestingly enough, the great CEO exodus of 2020, it was an exodus. It happened first in March of 2020, although leaders were leaving in larger numbers all the way to 2019. Something happened. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly, March of 2020, that was when COVID-19 struck America and the rest of the world. But it's interesting that CEO of Disney, Hulu, MGM, Harley-Davidson, IBM, Fortune 500 companies were were leaving. I think it was many of them were saying, I just don't need this anymore. But Andy, you might have read the Inc. Magazine article that came out called, The Great Resignation is Here and It is Real. In 2021, this year, in three months, April, May, and June, 11.5 million employees left their job. 
So it's not just leaders, it's people just saying, I'm throwing in the towel. Yep. So now we got to deal with hiring new staff members, onboarding, getting them ready. Oh my gosh, they're not like Nancy. They're, you know, so I think there's so much change and there's so much turmoil. And I really do believe, I think there's a higher level of, this is going to sound like an old geezer now, please forgive me, a higher level of entitlement. People feel entitled to more from their leader. And that's data from the University of Hampshire. They say that um, with each new generation, we feel perks and benefits are, I'm more deserving of them than our grandparents were or whatever. Def definitely. So anyway, leaders are just, I think, thinking, I don't know how much longer I can do this. There must be, I can do something easier and safer and join the army. You know, that sort of thing. So. <laughs> well, and even in my you know, limited experience as a leader. I feel like what used to work doesn't mm -hmm. work. What used to work well doesn't work as well. Yeah. What used to move things quickly doesn't move mm -hmm. things as quickly. Yeah. And so for the man or woman who's in a position where they have an out or they're yeah. getting toward the end, it's like, you know what? Yeah. Do I want to relearn the world? Do I want to yes. relearn yes. leadership? Do I want... Do I really want to go through the paces of having to rediscover how to infuse um, or yeah. instill a sense of passion and vision in a generation that just doesn't see the world the way I do? And I can understand that. Now, yeah. I, for me, and we've talked about this as well, I think it's a great challenge. I, it is. I, I, I'm inspired to kind of figure it out. In this book— it has been so helpful because, again, you move us away from either or, it's both and, and you keep us in the tension. And as we've talked about on this podcast yeah. so many times, there are tensions that if you resolve them, you lose something. Yeah. You just have to live in the tension. And this book is all about that. So we're going to work through these one at a time. But if we're unable to live in that tension or essentially the way you talk about it is practice these paradoxes, what happens? Because I think this is the warning. This is what makes this content so mm -hmm. important. So if we're unable to do this, I think um, I, I think we just lose um, loyalty and followership. I really do. Here's what I think happened or has happened over the last couple of years. We we lead a savvy population of team members. They're very savvy. They're exposed because they got a smartphone. They know the dirt on everyone, mm -hmm. even leaders, especially you. <laughs> you yep. know that sort of thing. And so they're just very very savvy. And I think when we are not staying up with how to lead in this day, um, we have mental cavities. The narrative we form in our head is perhaps negative. Um, I remember John Maxwell used to always say, "People are down on what they're not up on," and so it's true. Yeah. So um, yeah, actually, we resist things we don't understand. Mm -hmm. We resist things we can't control. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the new images, habitude images I've developed is dentists and cavities, and the basic truth is this: when you go to a dentist and he or she finds a cavity, they almost always say, "Can you stay a little bit longer, and I'll fill it right now." Or if not, can you come back as soon as possible? I want to get it filled. And the reason they say that is if they don't fill that cavity, bacteria is going to fill that cavity. Right. I think those cavities exist up here and narratives start, inaccurate narratives, negative narratives start in their minds. That's why we need to over-communicate um, in times. I read a great quote by T.S. Eliot. Let me see if I can get this at least paraphrased. When we don't know or we don't know enough, emotions can masquerade as thoughts as information absolutely yeah. that's yeah yes. there oh, there's been multiple studies and but what we experience is oh i have I, i'm reasoning yes. when in fact i'm not reasoning i'm emoting that's right. and if, and my emotions are disguised as as logic and reasons we yeah. see a lot of that politically 
Very, very yeah, true. So right this now. is happening on our teams. Yep. You and I both love our team members. They're great people. But um, e- even at our organization, I think we believe in each other. We love each other. But I mean, I saw some distrust yep. emerge and I thought, I've never seen this. Am I doing something wrong? And of course, I even thought, maybe I throw in the, maybe there needs to be a better leader than me to take over. But the the thing I'm waving, the flag I'm waving right now is it's time to step up, not step back. And mm. that's what this book is about. Yeah. And my, I think every leader has a natural inclination or a natural response when they mm-hmm. feel like things are getting a little bit wobbly or there's distrust. Yeah. And we reach for the familiar lever mm-hmm. lever, or push the familiar button yeah. and it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then we're like, I'm out or what's wrong with me? Hey, before we continue this real quick to all of our um, podcast listeners, as I mentioned at the top of our broadcast today, our sponsor Belay is offering a free download of their CEO's latest book. It's entitled Rise Up and Lead Well. In this book, she shares everything she's learned in her journey from, and this is what makes the book so valuable, from administrative assistant in the company to the CEO of the company. So she knows what she's talking about. So wherever you are on the journey of creating leadership and creating a competent company that's engaged with your particular industry, this book will be extremely, extremely helpful. The way you can get it is just text Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55123. That's Andy to 55123 to receive your free copy today. So back to our conversation. So Tim, let's let's jump into these. Um, what is the first paradox of leadership? The first one I have in the book is called. It, it basically goes like this: Uncommon leaders or great leaders um, balance both confidence and humility. And very often, I've noticed you either call somebody, oh, they're a confident leader, or they're such a humble leader, and it tends to be either or, but I actually don't think they're mutually exclusive. And I think in today's world, when we're asked to maybe take on new territory that we've never taken on before, I've got to enter with confidence. People need a confident leader. In fact, I don't think we're going to get anywhere unless they sense some confidence in their leadership. But I think we also have to be humble because if we're confident or maybe overconfident, they're going to go, are you smoking something? <laughs> you can't be that. You're not that good. Yeah. You don't know everything. And in an environment where there's already a threat of distrust, mm. they yeah. They're just going to poke at that. Yeah, no doubt about it. So my case study, I have a case study on each one of these yep. eight. I, I love studying their lives. My case study on this one was Bob Iger, who recently resigned as the CEO of Disney. When he was asked to come in, he was a part of the fam- the Disney family. He was at ABC. But he didn't ever run a company that sold tickets to theme parks and plush toys and cinema and Pixar and everything else. So he came in and said, I was a rookie. And I knew I had to learn quickly. So there he was sitting down with the people he was leading saying, can you help me understand this? Can you help me understand this? And he even said in the book, I knew I had to say, I can't pretend to know something I don't. But at the same time, when he understood it, he said, this is what we're going to do. And say it with enough confidence, they said, all right, let's go with him. Tough call. Can you imagine Disney is an empire right now? But Bob was able to do it, unlike his predecessor, Michael Eisner. Now, you know, Michael Eisner had been run out by the board at Disney because he'd gotten a little cocky, a little arrogant, a little overbearing. Here's the interesting piece of this. Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs had been in dialogue, Andy, about partnering. Could could Disney buy Pixar? But in all due respect to both gentlemen, one who's passed away, it was like two egos butting heads. And, you know, one who's up on this one. You know, this is a contest here. And it just went nowhere. Bob comes in, lets a little time pass after he became CEO. He shook hands with everybody, but he calls Steve Jobs up 
And he said, I knew it was a risk because I knew they'd already said, nope, we're not going to do this. But he said, Steve, you don't know me. I'm Bob Iger. But I just can't help but think we might be better together. And Steve Jobs says, that's not a crazy idea. And so they sit down together. They just love each other. And these two large leaders, two big empires. (laughs) Now, here's the biggest part that's confident humility. Disney buys Pixar and then puts Pixar in charge of all the animation. Now, that is an oxymoronic parent, but that's what confident, humble leaders can do. Hmm. So So why, and I know we got to move through these, why do we feel like it's one or the other? Because that's that's the the tension. Mm -hmm. And part of it, I think, and you tell me, is especially for young leaders, when we picture um, strong, confident, yeah, persuasive, successful leaders, what we picture is not humility. Yeah, what we picture right. is confidence, confidence, confidence. Yeah. I woke up this morning with the answer. I pulled everybody <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah. I told them what the answer yeah, was. Yeah. And then we marched off in the direction that, you know, that I walked yeah. into the office with. Yeah. When in reality, that's virtually never the case. So I think for young leaders especially, there's an image that yeah. is absolutely mm-hmm. incorrect that, yeah. again, pushes us into this either or mentality. What, yeah. what, what do you say to that? Well, I think it's the, I, I could be wrong here, but I think it's the typical American view that leadership is power, that leadership is I'm in charge, large and in charge actually, mm-hmm. and I have the answer. I think the world we're moving into, we're moving away from the control economy to the connection economy and connection requires humility. Actually on both parts, I think. Yep. Um, I'm going to be a follower and a, I'm going to be a listener and a teacher, a follower and a leader. But I think the leader ultimately needs to say, here's where I think we need to go. But listen, I'm open for input. Our world is just too savvy to only have confidence. I just keep going back to that. And there's probably somebody that's smarter than I am on my team. Well, that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Jim Jim Collins said, aspire to be the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. 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 So it's so true. I I had an intern, Andy, a few years ago, had a PhD. I'm thinking... You yeah. can teach me. Right. So I quickly say, hey, listen, we're going to want to hear from you. Yep. Oh, I'm in the end. I know you're the intern. Doesn't matter. Forget the title. I'm going to need your input. I think that I think that earned more pocket change yep. by saying that than just do what I tell you to do. Before we jump into number two, and this relates to all of these, but I, I want to hear your comment. So okay. when we talk about a paradox, we're not talking about balance, right? Mm-hmm. right. In other words, this isn't yes. like extreme humility on yep. one end and extreme confidence on the other, and we need to be balanced. Because the really great leaders are extremely mm-hmm. confident, yeah, and they can be extremely humble. So yes. this is not a continuum where correct. we're trying to find our place on it. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Some are more of a balance when I think about the eight, but this one clearly is, is both and. And I believe the best leaders know when to play each card. Exactly. I've got a hand of cards. Right. right now, what you need from me is humility. Ooh, at three o'clock, you need a little confidence, don't you? You know, And so you're reading them before you're leading them, and mm-hmm. you're playing the card that's most needed. And hopefully it's not a fake card. Hopefully it's an authentic humility right. and an authentic confidence. Yeah. Well, at some point, you take all the information, and you take notes and listen to what people say, and then they that's look right. to you to say, what are we going to do? That's right. <laughs> and you have to make the decision, and you can't look back. Okay, the second second paradox. Okay, the second paradox is a really fun one, and it may be the most paradoxical of all the paradoxes, if, if there is such a thing. I think uncommon leaders leverage both their vision and their blind spots. I know that seems, how can you do that? Yeah, how do you leverage a blind okay. spot? Because it's a blind spot, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what you would think on the surface. In fact, that's why a paradox strikes us as contradictory because you only look at the surface. When you dig deeper, you'll immediately see in this chapter, oh my gosh, of course. So here's the premise, and then I'm going to give you the case study. 
clearly every leader needs vision. You can't lead without a target to hit or a goal or a picture of a better tomorrow. But I think almost every leader I've ever talked to said, oh yeah, we had a vision. Thank God for what we didn't know. You know, in other words, had I known that, right. what I know, Absolutely. I would have never started the thing. You would say that about North Point, wouldn't you? Oh, I've, oh. I've said that so many times. Yeah. yeah. So I think the great leaders don't let the blind spots hit them and knock them over. They, they leverage them. So my, um, my case study in this one is Sarah Blakely the founder of Spanx. Okay, so she started this new industry, or at least she was a forerunner, shapewear. So it's kind of a pantyhose, kind of a girdle, that sort of thing. Well, she graduates from Florida State in 1993. She's selling fax machines door to door. And she is realizing wearing pantyhose and high heel shoes is not too fun in the Florida heat. So she starts cutting her hose off. She starts creating what became Spanx. She finally realizes, I think I've got a product here. She drives up to North Carolina, where, where I guess there's a whole lot of pantyhose creators, and she talks to men, mostly, who do not understand what it feels like to wear this, and she gets no, 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 no. Finally, one of the gentlemen she talks to that manufactures pantyhose has two daughters. He goes back, shows his two young lady daughters, and they go, Dad, this is awesome. You should get this. So he agrees to manufacture. Mm. Well, now Sarah's faced with, how do I get this out? How do I distribute these? She sets up an appointment with an executive, a female executive at Neiman Marcus. Goes over to Neiman Marcus. She's just got like 10 minutes. So she walks in, tries to pitch the idea. Well, this lady has heard 50 pitches that day, maybe, you know, so she's not getting very far. Right. Sarah stands up five minutes in and says, would you follow me, please? And the executive says, beg your pardon? She says, would you follow me, please, into the restroom? She's going to try She didn't on. know any better, did she? No, she didn't know any better. This, I'm sure this executive had never had this happen. Right. She walks in, and ladies, you'll appreciate this. She tries Spanx on right before her eyes. Sold! You know, right there on the spot. So they decide to um, beta test them in like 10 stores. Sarah calls up all of her friends who live in these cities, sends them money to buy them out. I mean, that's smart. For 20-something. Uh, well, next thing you know, you know, now Bloomingdale's and other department stores are picking them. Well, this, it, the Spanx take off. But here's where it comes into um, the category of a blind spot. Sarah Blakely is doing a Q&A session with an audience of young entrepreneurs who are asking her, how did you get noticed? How did you get noticed in those big trade shows where there's a thousand exhibitors? How? How, how, how? And she goes, trade shows? Are you saying I should have gone to a trade show? They go, yeah, that's that's how every new product is launched. She goes, not me. And she later looks back and says, it's what I didn't know that saved me wow. all the while. It's because I didn't know that I was able to make it big. And of course, now it's, I think she's one of the top 10 female executives anywhere. It's that's just amazing. amazing. Yeah. So every leader probably has a blind spot. And so she didn't overtly leverage right, it. It right. worked to her advantage. And, and we have, we've certainly seen that on multiple occasions. Yeah. But it, it's definitely a tension. It is. And what I talk about in this chapter, I always try to offer stories, stats, and steps. So the, the, the data is great leaders, however old and experienced they are, leverage rookie smarts. You ever heard that term rookie smarts? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, it was rookie smarts. You yeah. didn't know. That, so I think at our age, even you know, four decades into our career, we can go, no. I had rookie smarts there in some new area. Now, when we get a lot of experience, it can work for us and against us, yep. as you have already oh, yeah. indicated. So how do you stay rookie in a good way and 
create whole new, I don't know, products and services and 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 programs for us, in our case that that just absolutely engage a 21st century audience. And one of the ways we talk about that is we tell leaders, look, when it's the next generation that has the idea, you mm-hmm. say, wow, not how. That's right. Because yeah. you can how any good idea yeah. to death, right? Because yeah. we don't know how. That's the point. Somebody would have done it. So you just listen, let them dream, mm-hmm. and you don't bring in all of your expert, I'm older than you information, because yeah. all of that is a negative. Here's why it won't work. Okay, moving along. Number three. The third paradox is uncommon leaders embrace both visibility and invisibility. Again, it seems like how in the world can you do both? But it's different. It's two cards in your hand that you play at different times. So my case study on this one is Dr. Martin Luther King. I had a lot of them, male and female, different ethnicities, but Dr. King, I think was brilliant. Here's why. By the late 1950s to the early 1960s, he was the clear civil rights leader in North America. He was out front. Yeah, out front. And he knew, I can't just talk the talk, I gotta walk the walk. So he leads the marches. He leads the boycotts. He gets himself sent to prison 29 times. Well, some probably weren't on purpose, but many were on purpose because he thought, I better show them. I'm willing to pay the price. Are you? So visibility means I am not going to sit on my butt, pardon me, and tell everybody what to do. I'm going to show them. So there was a show and tell, show and tell, show and tell. He makes that great speech in 1963, I have a dream. But it was at that point, if you watch that footage, I think something happens visibly where he shifts gears. If you remember at the end of the speech, actually that was an 11 minute speech that went 17 and a half You were there, right? Yes, I'm four years old. Go, yeah. Martin, go, Martin. But um, yeah. do you remember Ronald Reagan? He used to say, Abraham Lincoln once said, and I know because he said it to me. You know? <laughs> okay. At the speech, it was a 17-minute speech. It was only supposed to go 11, but he read the crowd. After the 11-minute manuscript, he realized the divine aha had not yet happened. They don't get it yet. The epiphanies weren't on their faces. And so he proceeds six and a half more minutes, and that's when he starts saying, I have a dream. We call it the I have a dream speech. Right. So at that point— the the crowd's in a frenzy. I mean, it's it's a good thing, but they're ready to they're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. If you remember at the end, he says, "Free at last, free at last." Thank God, my friend. And whew, he becomes invisible quickly. You he darts away from the podium. He doesn't want to be about him. He wants to be about the mission and the cause. From that moment on, he starts stepping stepping aside for the last five years of his life because he realizes if I stay in the limelight, they're going to go, "Oh, Martin, he's awesome." He'll do it. And so there are some meetings, Andy, he doesn't show up to on purpose. He says, I need Andrew Young to speak up. He'll never speak up if I'm in the room. Jesse Jackson, uh, Ralph Abernathy. And so these young bucks Mm -hmm. that, you know this, there's probably people that go, if Andy's there, I'm not going to say anything because he knows what he's doing. And you go, no, 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 I need you to talk, 23-year-old. But I think there's a time when leaders need to go, I need to either be quiet or just not be in the room. And Andy, at this point, I'm now working through a succession plan at Growing Leaders. I'm thinking if I'm in the room at that point, they're just not going to say anything bad about habitudes or whatever else I've written or whatever. So there's some meetings I don't go to because I'm afraid I'm going to wrongly influence. And so it's not just absenteeism. In fact, absent- well, it's not abdication. It's not even yeah. delegation. Yes. It's, in some ways, it is vision. It's a, it's a vision right. cast for the future and the importance 
importance of the product or the organization or the problem that the organization is solving, that it needs to yeah. live beyond the, the founder or the current Exactly. The current and in this chapter, I specifically list when to know when it's time to be absent. Wow. And I give very tangible steps. I, I, I think they're helpful, but um, there is a time, leaders, when you do need to model way and there's a time. We need to lead through our presence and through our absence and both our training. Wow. Yeah. Well, Tim, one more before we wrap up this podcast episode. Um, stubborn and open-minded. Stubborn and yeah. open-minded. Yeah. So this was one of the most fun chapters to write because the case study is Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A back in the 1940s. Uh, Truett was a brilliant, brilliant example, I think, of having having a stick-to-your-gun sort of mindset, yep. you know, closed on Sunday, we're not doing this, we're not doing that, we're going to do this. And I mean, he stuck to his guns. In fact, I just mentioned closed on Sunday. Anytime you think of Chick-fil-A, you think, of, oh, they're closed on Sunday. The number one sales day of the week for some fast food restaurants. Truett has been known. I interviewed Dan and Tim Tosopoulos and others. Truett was known for when he found out a Chick-fil-A operator was open on Sunday, he'd drive over to that location and fire the guy or gal. Wow. Fire him on the spot. Wow. On Sunday, when they're supposed to be closed, which which is a, I'm a pretty stubborn man. I would say that's stubborn. And they'd argue, we're generating revenue. I don't care. I want Sunday to be a day of rest, you know, and worship and so forth. So you can't do it. So on the one hand, he was stubborn for sure, but his stubbornness was usually around values and people, I noticed. When I did all these interviews, it was always people. He was very stubborn. He just loved his people. Yep. If you visited the headquarters of Chick-fil-A and somebody said, oh, so-and-so is here. He'd stop the meeting he was in. He'd go down and shake their hand. I mean, you know, we wouldn't do that, but he did. So stubborn about his people and his values. He was so flexible on everything else. He'd sit in meetings and say, yeah, we ought to try that new sandwich. We ought to try that. Yeah, yeah. At he tried multiple different restaurant concepts yes. that people don't even know about. Yeah. So it wasn't just the Chick-fil-A mm -hmm. brand. It, there, yeah. Again, there was so much behind the scene. Yeah, keep going. At Sorry. 92, he was a part of opening Truett's Luau, I think yeah, it was. I've been there. Yeah, I have too. It's, it's so odd. He picked the colors and the menu. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and I, at and I 90, say odd, I don't mean like bad odd. Yeah. It's like you walk in and go, Truett? Yeah. <laughs> came up with this. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. So now when I talked to Dan, his son, he said, do you want to use the word stubborn? Because, you know, he's trying to guard his debt. And I said, well, it's strong-willed and open-minded. Well, strong-willed, Tony, open-minded. Tony Dungy said, stubbornness is a virtue when you're right. Mm, I right? love that. Yeah, yeah. It's stubbornness <laughs> is a virtue when you're right. And he knew, because he knew his industry, Yeah, he knew when he was right, he knew when it was time to be stubborn. Yeah. And you don't do it often. That's right. But when you know— you just put your foot on the brake or on the gas and you go, hey, this is this is what we're doing. One of the phrases you know that they're known for at Chick-fil-A is, it's my pleasure. Truett did not demand, you all say this, repeat after me. But at that Chick-fil-A annual next conference, he'd say, now I'd love you to, I'd love for you to do this and stubbornly encourage them. The execs today say it took a decade for, for that to catch on. But now, you get a 16-year-old at the drive-through window going, "It's my pleasure," yep. and uh, my son worked at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I caught him taking out the trash. Thanks, Jonathan. It's my pleasure, Jonathan. I caught you saying, <laughs> "Yeah," <laughs> but he it drilled into it. I thought, "Thank you, Truett, for this phrase." Yep. Yeah. Wow. Tim, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. And thank you so much for being here. And you're going to be back next month. We're going to wrap up this conversation, look at the other four paradoxes. And to all of our listeners, of course, thank you for joining us. And we invite you to check out Tim's new book, The Eight Paradoxes of Great 
Leadership, The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. You can find that wherever books are sold. And make sure you visit andystanley.com where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of our discussion today, questions to reflect on with your team, and it's a tool we've created to help you keep this conversation going. So join us next month. We'll continue this important discussion with Dr. Tim Elmore on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. We will see you then. 